The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is proudly brought to you by Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. When you think about award ceremonies for traditionally male-dominated industries like tech and business, diversity is not the first thing that jumps to mind. These awards have long been the nights to celebrate the people that made it under the old rules, and so have naturally showcased a lot of the successful old blokes. But one prominent event, the New Zealand High Tech Awards, has made it its mission to fast-forward the process of change by making diversity the focus for its awards this year. It's pushed forward a conversation many industries need to have and got conversations and initiatives started all around the country, working with the excellent Ally Skills team to help companies learn practical steps to take, and in a step perfect for the tech industry, they even provide a toolkit. The chair of the High Tech Trust, Jennifer Rutherford, is emblematic of and driving this change. With a career in corporate management and industry governance, she took over as chair this year and joins us now. G'day, Jennifer. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? Great, thank you. Hey, let's jump back into your career. How was it that you came to be working in some of these um, great companies in tech? Well, I was extremely fortunate to be picked up by IBM uh, back in the days of graduate programs and joined a group of 12 people who were taken out of university and cosseted and trained uh, before we were unleashed on the public. And that really enabled me to kick off my career with um, high-caliber companies and have that training behind me. And to this day, I just feel so fortunate that I even went along to the interview when I was at university and that I had that opportunity. Did you feel like a company like IBM, you know, a total standard bearer for tech, was going to be a welcoming place for a young female graduate? I had absolutely no idea, and back in that day, it wasn't even a consideration for me. Uh, I grew up in the in an army background, and you know, with a very disciplinary military uh, male environment, and to me, that was just normal. And going to IBM was it was an opportunity for me. So no matter what um, that environment was, I was going to take, you know, what it meant and what it gave for me as an opportunity. It, it did turn out that. You know, there were a lot of things that surprised me in the way that um, people would behave. You know, people were treated in general, uh, particularly at the lowly ranks of graduates. But back then, uh, you know, you just suck it up. You want a job, you want experience, you just take it for what it is. What did working like uh, working at a company like IBM allow you to do? Uh, as it was, um, it probably had access to all of the biggest companies and government projects in the country. 
The biggest thing that working for someone like IBM and then subsequently at HP and Compaq and Cisco just gave me a huge amount of training and experience and, and really access to high-end talent, which enabled me to have credibility in market. Uh, access is easy when you work at a big company like that. You know, it opens doors for you, and it's not until you don't work in that environment that you realise how valuable that can be. What are the skills that it takes to rise through the ranks and succeed in those uh, really large multinational um, premier companies? Well, I think in any company, the the ability to understand the politics and the environment and, and how decisions are made is really critical, and that will be different. You know, no matter where you're working, I guess every organisation has its own dynamics, and that's something that you just learn along the way. And, and like most people, I guess, I learned along the way by making mistakes. And uh, in those companies, I had managers, always men in that day, who would call out those mistakes and you know, give me a bit of a talking to. Um, I remember being pulled aside and uh, pulled up on my dress standard, on, um, on how messy my hair was. Uh, we even had a, a guidance course on how we should dress and behave, which, uh, you know, back in the day included things like don't wear fully blouses and blue eyeshadow, which we all took very seriously, um, but in hindsight was actually quite amusing. How has that environment changed? And and when did the, the kind of uh, changes in those big companies start to come in? As it's still obviously um, uh, more structured than your average co-working space. Well, I've seen change happen very slowly, and, and I think incrementally, uh, as people get feedback around uh, behaviours and come to the realisation that, that their standard behaviours aren't perhaps acceptable, things slowly change. I mean, today you would never have a course for women in your organisation about how to dress. There would be, um, A, a complete backlash of people going, what are you doing, and don't you dare tell us how to dress. Uh, and people just, you know, you wouldn't even think of doing that today. Um, I guess there's more um, acceptance of differences today, and that that's come about through not so much through a, a waking up of the organisation, but through new generations coming into influence positions of power. So, you know, maybe the new generations aren't quite at the top echelons of power, but where the influence happens. Um, you know, people who have influence in organisations can be at any level, and there's a lot more people coming through that are saying this old way of behaving is not okay anymore. It will damage our business. It will damage our reputation. We'll lose staff. We'll lose talent. We'll have disengaged people, and and a lot more people are listening to that. The challenge that I see now is I think there's a really good understanding of. Uh, new behaviours and, and new requirements in terms of how we treat people of, of all kinds. And the diversity question is huge, whether it's gender, cultural, you know, ideas or you know, just ways of being. And what I see now in big organisations is more of a struggle on the how than the what and the why. So yes, we want to be a diverse and inclusive organisation. We understand that a, there's a business benefit to it and there's a social conscience and a moral uh, right, but how? And that's, that's the biggest question that I see people struggling with these days. 
I, I absolutely love what you've done with the High Tech Trust with um, providing those those practical uh, pathways that we're, we're going to jump to to a minute. But I wonder if I might just ask as well one other thing about working in those uh, big American companies in New Zealand. What's that? Is that a different kind of working environment when you've got uh, that that multinational and the American established um, home base kind of way of doing things? What kind of special skills does that take to navigate? Well, I, I think the companies that I worked for all had enough people on the ground here in New Zealand that we had our own New Zealand culture. And oftentimes people would come over from head office from the US, they would come into our offices and they would want to stay there. They just loved our refreshing you know, way of being, of being very honest, of uh, um, having a lot of fun in the office. The reverse is to be careful. You know, when you travel back to head office, there was a change in behaviour required to be much more formal, much more corporate, um, very much more hierarchical, um, and to be eternally positive in an American organisation uh, where in New Zealand, you know, it's okay here to call things out as not okay and have a really honest, straight-up Kiwi conversation. Um, you kind of need to be careful, in my experience, in other cultures, whether that's the kind of right thing to do. And I've, I've tripped over uh, by being uh, a Kiwi female Sagittarian with a bit of a, a tendency to kind of talk my mind and uh, that has tripped me up over the years, particularly overseas. Tell, tell me about how you came to be involved in the uh, New Zealand tech body and then into the High Tech Trust. Oh, well, what happened is I moved to Wellington uh, for personal reasons five years ago and thought about how my career was going, where I was at. I'd done the same thing for a long time working for multinationals in sales. And I figured in Wellington that, you know, to be involved in anything in Wellington, really having some kind of involvement with government would be really sensible. It's not an area that I'd had a lot to do with in my career. So the opportunity came up to um, join NZ Tech as their government relations and member director. And it was a really big decision in my career. It was a completely different change. It was outside of my comfort zone. It was a not-for-profit organization, a very different financial proposition. But I took the chance that that would be an opportunity for me to do something different, uh, not only in my career but for myself, uh, I think most people, as they get older, start to turn their thoughts to what is their legacy. Uh, you know, you grow up as a teenager, it's all about you, and then you have a family and you have a career, and there comes a point where you go, you know, what has this all been about? And, and when I depart this earth, what have I left behind? And when I was working uh, for NZ Tech, I got really excited about the opportunity to help and to provide my experience into people just starting out in new tech companies to be able to promote what was some hugely exciting little New Zealand tech company startups or even big ones that you know perhaps didn't have a huge visibility. Maybe I'd never heard of them before. And so I really decided at that time that I wanted to be involved in that sector. At the time, uh, I met Wayne Norrie, who was the chair of the High Tech Trust, and he was trying to figure out what to do about the fact that he knew that the high-tech trust was a symbol of the old-school environment that you spoke about at the beginning. 
that it was a very male-dominated, um, very patriarchal organisation and needed to change. And Wayne and I had some conversations about that. We talked about some things that could be done to start to lead that journey, to um, promote some change, to you know at least lead from the top. And uh, then Wayne really said, well, you better put your money where your mouth is and join the trust. And, and so I did that. And I guess like many women, I didn't necessarily put my hand up for that role. I wasn't looking for it. I didn't have the confidence to go and try and knock on doors. It was really through having that mentoring relationship with someone else to say, hey, you've got some ideas. Come and join us to be invited, to be included, um, to, to make a difference. And how's that process been? Uh, you, you didn't look for the job originally, um, but how, how have you found it? Uh, it's incredibly rewarding. And firstly, just being on the trust, I, I was able to be a part of it, to contribute to conversations. The very first uh, board strategy meeting that uh, Victoria Crone and myself joined, which was the first meeting that they'd had any women at, was a really different meeting for everyone. And at the end of the day, uh, the the trustees were very positive about the change and, you know, hadn't realised before that they were perhaps all thinking of one mind and were just sort of agreeing with each other. And it was a really good learning. Uh, the step up this year to take the chair role uh, really required me to take another leap of confidence and like anything, when you're outside your comfort zone, sometimes it's uncomfortable and sometimes, you know, you do things and, and you're not sure if they're right. But at the end of the day, my mission is to try and make a difference and to do my very best. And uh, being in the in the spotlight this year where we've stood up and said we want to find ways for our industry to make a difference to accelerate change and particularly the gender diversity, but uh, in all areas of diversity as a sector, it can be challenging. You know, people can not like what you're doing. People can be challenged by what you're doing. Uh, people can be very frustrated with the lack of change or the slowness of change. I personally think there's such an interesting time at the moment with, you know, there are there's almost revolution in the air on the topic of diversity, you know, there are really strong words and strong actions and uh, attacks on the patriarchy and, you know, th this to me is just born out of the fact that there is a generation who are saying we are so frustrated with the lack of change, we've had enough, wake up world, we won't accept this anymore. And on the other side of the fence, there's a lot of people who are going, I know, but I don't. I don't know what to do. And every time I do something, I, I get attacked, and so I retreat. And I'm I'm really trying to ride that line between being, uh, you know, shaking up change enough that things will change, but allowing people to explore the how to figure out what they need to do without being threatened back into doing nothing. Tell me about some of those practical things that you've uh, got as part of this year's focus on diversity for the awards, the, the Ally Skills Workshop and the, the toolkit. So some of the things that we're attempting to do this year is to make sure that our own internal processes are 
are allowing diversity. So some you know simple things down to the makeup of our trustees, the people that we get opinions from, and how we shape our thinking to make sure that you know internally we're getting diversity of ideas. We are encouraging the organisations that we work with and you know our key sponsors um, to sort of say how can we as a group provide some tools and leadership and guidance to others in the industry or to really take a look at ourselves as a, you know, a group of key sponsors to make sure that we're leading and doing and um, really shaping change. Within our awards process, uh, we've you know, put some small things in place to try and encourage people. For example, the, the nominate process, um, quite often from a gender perspective or some cultures, they won't um, put their own hand up uh, for an award, but if someone nominates them, that can be quite different. And, and we have seen a change this year in the number of people using that nominate process and people being therefore included in the awards that would not have otherwise done so. That's, that's, really, judging. That, that's really interesting. Sorry, just to jump in there. As with your journey, you didn't put your hand up uh, but were brought in. And so to actually make sure that you have pathways in for people that aren't out there putting their hand up but have a lot to contribute. That's exactly right. I mean, it's a, it's a small thing. It's a simple thing, but it can make a really big difference. Yeah, sorry. And through, through to the judging? I was just going to say with our judges, I mean, obviously the people that judge and, and decide who the winners are have a massive influence on what happens and how we represent our finalists. So we have a judging convener, and she spends a lot of time looking at the makeup of our judges, uh, the education of our judges, trying to make sure that the process of judging doesn't in itself provide some sort of discrimination. And this year we also included a weighted question in most of the awards around tell us about your uh, diversity and inclusion story. What are you doing as an organisation? Uh, we're trying to say, you know, you don't have to be perfect, but you need to tell us what you're doing to ensure that you are um, role modelling, that you're trying to include diversity in your business. And, uh, you know, that will make a difference in terms of the people that make it through uh, to the to the winning, uh, to the podium on the night coming up in May. And what's the reaction been there? You, you've said that... Um you know, people are at different stages along the journey. Have have some people really embraced beginning the journey or have some people um, been really proud to share what they're up to and have some people been spurred to kind of see what they're missing? Has it been, has it been a positive process as well as one that's, I imagine, been, um, um, you, you know, whenever you challenge something that's established, uh, maybe a bit difficult at times? Uh, all of the above, I, I think. Yes, it's been difficult, and there's you know some people that aren't happy with you know how far we've gone. But the fact that every single person who's entered these awards has had to answer that question, they've had to think about that, and for some of them, they have you know implemented change, you know from anecdotal stories. We'll hear more on the night. I'm really proud of the fact that that is going to make a difference. Oh, that's that's so cool. And um, a couple of the questions that we uh, ask 
everyone. I mean, I've, I've been um, along to a number of uh, high tech awards over the years uh, w- with Vent, and they've been a wonderful occasion. But um, diversity wouldn't have been the first uh, thing I thought. So, uh, yeah, it's fantastic to see this this focus, and it will it will make real change in um, in that evening. I'm sure. Uh, a couple of the questions that we ask everyone um, who comes on: um, Are there any kind of like words you live by, or things you say to yourself when things get tough, or mottos, or or stuff that's kind of helped you get through? Well, I'm still working on that. And uh, what I tell myself at the moment is I have a responsibility to be a role model. And so if something tough happens, if I just crawl away and go, well, it's just too hard, then what is that telling other people? So at the moment, I'm kind of giving myself the hurry up that if if I'm a role model, then I have to take the right action and behavior and, and really stand up to the challenge. If I don't do it, then how can I ask anyone else to? And when you get approached by people wanting to go into uh, a career in corporates or to get into the tech industry, what's the advice you give to people? Firstly, my advice is to absolutely take every opportunity because we learn from every opportunity and the tech sector and and corporates, you can just get so much out of them yourself, whether it's experience, um, fantastic pay, whether it's travel, connections. And so my first advice is to take every opportunity. And the second advice is to really try and understand the way that people transact to understand how influence happens within organisations. I have this kind of feeling that that there's a there's a growing social conscience in our society. There's a growing belief that everything should be fair and equitable, but the reality is that that's not the way it is and hasn't been for centuries. And so, my advice to people is to be very very aware of their environment and understand the environment and the influences and the politics, and then figure out you know if you're going to change them, how and who can help you. Don't be a kind of lone wolf. Um, on a crusade into a big corporate because it can be a difficult place to be. And is there anything that you wish that you'd known earlier? I wish I wish now looking back on my career that I had understood that I didn't have to conform and that I could have asked for help, that, I, that if I d- disagreed with something, my choices weren't just conform or completely protest and, you know, end up in a very difficult situation. And I didn't have um, very good mentors early on in my career. I just kind of went along with what I saw was happening around me. And I look back at, you know, some of the things that happened or that I did in my career and I, I regret them. And I think if I had better advice that I would have made different decisions. Ah, oh, that's that's so interesting. And now, uh, in the position you are acting as a mentor and helping people um, pass get past those steps. Yes, well, I try, and um, I would love to see more mentoring and more casual mentoring. I, I think formal mentoring can be quite difficult. There's an onus on everyone to find a mentor, um, and one of the ideas kicking around in the back of my head is, you know, how can we have some kind of casual ask a question. Uh, type environment so that might be for next year. Ah, Magic. Well thank you very much Jennifer Rutherford the chair of the 
High Tech Trust. Uh, the awards are coming up 25 May in Christchurch this year. Uh, and yeah, can't wait to hear and see the stories of diversity that come out. And if you're interested in the toolkit and what's going on, do check out the High Tech Trust's website. Thanks so much for coming on, Jennifer. Thank you. And thank you to Alice Webladell for producing, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by the spin-off and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.